0: Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 189. I'm your host, Jim Hawk, and in this session, we're going to try to cover the entire book of Joshua, which, though it's 24 chapters long, has kind of a common theme, and uh, it's pretty easy to follow along. So once again, we're only going to highlight points that are really important to doctrine, uh, specifically Catholic doctrine. Um, so with that in mind, a little background, the, the events in the book of Joshua are thought to take place somewhere between, different scholars will argue, but somewhere between 1400 B.C. and as, early, as late as 1200 B.C., depending on who you're, you're reading. But anyway, long time ago, right? And it happens, the book of Joshua, of course, comes right after Moses is shown the promised land, and they're getting ready to take the promised land, but Moses dies. So this would be kind of like a sequel, if you will, to to Deuteronomy. The events in the book of Joshua cover about 20 to 25 years, and it's all about the conquest of the land of Canaan. In other words, the promised land and the uh, resettling of of that land. So it's a pretty straightforward story, but there's some kind of gross stuff in there that uh, I don't think we can afford to just pass by. So, okay, uh, again, a little reminder uh, for the people in chapter one of Joshua. So it's okay to turn there now, unless you're driving, of course. And in Joshua chapter one, um, Joshua utters a theme that it repeats over and over and over again. We started seeing it in Deuteronomy and uh, we're going to see it here. This is part of the Deuteron- Deuteronomist uh, text, if you will, which is Deuteronomy, Joshua, uh, Judges, and First uh, and Second Kings. Okay, in other words, the same thought patterns in, in all of that. And what he tells us Uh, He mentions it four times in chapter one, be firm and steadfast. Uh, He says it in chapter one, verse uh, six, seven, nine, and um, let's see the last verse, uh, 18. But anyway, I'll just give you one of those examples. You can read it on your own. Above all, be firm and steadfast, taking care to observe the entire law which my servant Moses enjoined on you. This is God talking. Do not swerve from it either to the right or the left, that you may succeed wherever you go. And here's a good word for us. Keep this book of the law on your lips. Recite it by day and by night, that you may observe carefully all that is written in it then you will successfully attain your goal. So, uh, and that's good, good advice for us, right? We need to be in the word every day and don't deviate from that plan. When you want something to read, read scripture. If you have unclean thoughts, enter your mind. Uh, don't just put away the unclean thoughts or what it is that's causing the unclean thoughts. Take out the Bible instead and read it. Okay. You got to replace a bad habit with a good habit. Okay. Be firm and steadfast. Um, There's a story of a father who wanted his son to read the Bible. So he gave his son a Bible. And in this section, Joshua chapter 1, he put a hundred dollar bill in within the, the pages there of the Bible. And the kid went off to college, and of course, he did what most kids do. He needed money. Dad, can I have some money? And the dad said, have you been reading your Bible? And the, and the kid said, no. And he said, well, go read your Bible first, and then asked for money. So a couple of days later, the kid said, Dad, I really need some money. Have you been reading the Bible? No, I'll get to it. Okay, well, finally, the kid decided to read the Bible and stashed right here in Chapter One of Joshua, between the pages was a hundred-dollar bill, which at the time was was a, a lot of money, and it was uh, it was um, it was that you know read it daily uh, read it by day and by night, and you will successfully attain your goal. So this uh, verse seven and uh, eight would be good verses to underline ideally with a colored crayon, as you've been doing all along, I hope. And uh, it would be a good verse for going off to sending a kid off to college, etc. It's it's good for all of us. So the word of the Lord never changes. And so they're told in verse 11 that for uh, in three days they're going to cross the Jordan. And right across the Jordan is the city of Jericho. Now, we see that the Lord can use many pe- many different types of people to advance his kingdom. We see in chapter 2, uh, they send some spies to kind of check out uh, Jericho, and the spies um, sneak into Jericho, and they stay at the house of a harlot named Rahab. Okay, uh, so they're staying with a, a prostitute, a whore, if you will, named Rahab. I want you to underline um, House of a Harlot named Rahab, which is in chapter 2, verse 1. Why? She becomes an integral part of scripture, even though she's a prostitute. Why do I say that? Write in your margins, W-R-I-T-E, in your margins, next to uh, Rahab's name there in chapter 2, verse 1. Write in your margins, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. That's the genealogy of Jesus. And you will find that this prostitute, Rahab, was one of the ancestors of Jesus, okay? So that tells us a lot about God. God doesn't care about your pedigree or what you have done. He's more interested in what you are going to do. And Rahab is going to do a wonderful thing for the Israelites. She hides these two spies she does tell an untruth when questioned about it, but she is, uh, um, you know, she, she believes in the Lord. Um, we know this in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Um, Please show me kindness to my family and give me uh, a token that you are to spare my father and mother. So she believes that God is going to win the victory for the Israelites, against her own city. And so um, God can use anybody. Also, Jesus kind of represents everybody, right? Jesus, though he was king of kings and lord of lords, he comes from a uh, a lineage that has more than its share of, uh, shall we say, questionable people, all right? He doesn't care what you did. Here's what you are going to do. Um, though you do need to ask for forgiveness for what you did if it's real bad. Okay, moving on. So they prepare to enter the promised land in verse 3. And what is leading them? The, the Ark of the Covenant, chapter 3. What goes first? The Ark of the Covenant Chapter 3, verse 3. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, you must also break camp and follow it. So the Ark of the Covenant goes first. We've talked in the past about how the Ark of the Covenant um, prefigures Mary, etc. But in this case, Mary isn't around yet. So the Ark of the Covenant's the holiest thing in the Old Testament. We've talked about that before. Uh, in Exodus, and so we've got that. So the Ark of the Covenant um, precedes them, and then they begin, they got across the Jordan, which is kind of reminiscent of what? When the Israelites uh, crossed the Red Sea, or Reed Sea, depending on your translation, Um, and so they walked on dry land. So that's pretty cool. And then, as they were told to do back in Deuteronomy, they set up memorial stones, and uh, to all the Israelites who have crossed, so that they'll remember. And so that's chapter four. Then in chapter five, they're going to uh, they're preparing for siege. Uh, of joshua now we get to the kind of weird part here chapter six We can't gloss over this much as i would like to well chapter six isn't so bad uh the first part anyway so chapter six first part uh the soldiers circle the city they're supposed to march once around it do it for six days with seven priests, that's chapter 6, verse 4 that we're on, seven priests, seven, the number of completion, the number of perfection, carrying ram's horns around the ark. On the seventh day, so there is seven again, march around the city, how many times? You might have guessed, seven times, and have the police, priest blow the horns, okay? And he says, if you do that, the wall of the city will collapse. And that's just what happened. So, uh, according to this account. Okay. Now, did it actually happen this way? Archaeologists think, uh, maybe not. Okay. So you can choose to believe archaeologists. You can choose to believe this literally. But one thing that is clear is that God is leading the way. Okay. Because of God, the people claim the victory. Okay. And, uh, uh, Rahab, by the way, is protected. Okay. But then here's where it gets a little weird. Um, they, in, in verse 21, it says, they put the put to the sword all living creatures in the city, men and women, young and old, as well as oxen. Sheep and asses, that is to say, donkeys. Okay. Now, that's pretty hard to take, you know, killing little kids and women and all that sort of thing in in the city. Well, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, these Canaanites, they were bad folks. I mean, they practiced uh, child sacrifice, you know, to uh, their god Molech, etc. you know, throwing them into the fire. Uh, They practiced temple prostitution. Uh, Not good people. Okay. And, uh, so it could be said, well, you know, they, maybe they, they deserve their fate. I, I'm not going to go that far with it, although many Bible commentators have. But instead, I want to refer you to what the church teaches. I want to refer you to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which you should all have. Shame on you if you don't. Um, and paragraphs. 2307 to 2317, which talks about war. The church has had 2,000 years to uh, work this out, okay? And to be clear, the church doesn't say uh, there should never, I mean, it says that, you know, war should always be a last resort. It doesn't say you should never uh, take up arms. Um, But it, it does say, you know the the destruction of innocence and that sort of thing is clearly out of out of place here so uh particularly paragraph 2309 i want to, want you to write that in your margins as well but in your margins write 2307 to 2317 emphasis on 2309 which is the church's just war doctrine and I'm not going to go over that because I think I did uh, at least once before in one of these other sessions. But in in, uh, in sum, uh, you should not be the aggressor. You should not enter into a war unless it is winnable. Uh, the damage that is done should be less than the damage that would happen if there wasn't war, you know, et cetera. I think you'll find that fascinating reading. Bottom line is we don't follow Joshua chapter six uh, in in our own Catholic uh, teachings on on war, okay? The other thing to keep in, in mind is this book was written centuries and centuries after the actual events, okay? And it may have been an effort by the author, I'm not saying it was, but it may have been an effort by the author to glorify the conquests um, to, to show, again, how the Lord has blessed the people by giving them total victory. You know, did you ever uh, play a sport against somebody, tennis or whatever, and you went home and your whoever you were with um, said, how'd you do today? And you say, I totally annihilated them. Well, maybe you won, but you didn't annihilate them, okay, You'd, literally. And uh, so maybe that's an effort by the author to say, hey, when you totally follow the Lord, you get total conquest over whatever your foe is. Maybe that's it. Okay. So don't get too hung up on the literal thing. Now it could be that it happened just this way and they killed, you know, the men and women, young and old, and oxen and sheep and asses. It could be. But just um that's not what we do anymore. And why do we have the authority to not do that anymore? Again, chapter or Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Uh, Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, the power to bind and loose, and uh, he has bound and loose, or he has loosed this idea of uh, total, you know, destruction during war and that sort of thing. So we follow the church, okay? Anyway, and, and now you know why the church has the authority to pronounce on that. Okay. So, but one of the things they're told is, don't take anything from Jericho. Burn it to the ground. Leave nothing left. Okay? Did they do that? No. Uh, then they they they. It says that there was a guy named uh, Achan, and he goes and takes some things uh, from from that town. And and so this is we're in the beginning of seven. Uh, he took goods that were under the ban. And so then, uh, so that's one bad thing that they did. Another bad thing that they did is they they go on to their next victory. doesn't say they prayed about it. They went to this little measly town called Ai, and um, the, they said, uh, hey, you know, we only need a couple of thousand soldiers to take care of them. The enemy's few. We don't need much effort there. So already, even though God gave them a total victory against Jericho, they forget to pray, right? It doesn't say they prayed. So they go under attack and they're defeated by this little measly army at Ai who killed some 36 of them and then they they ran back. And uh, so what is clear here is that when the people follow the Lord, They are victorious. In fact, according to chapter 6, the Lord does all the work. You know, he knocks down the walls for them, literally. Okay. Um, But when they fail to to pray, when they fail to consult the Lord, when they think, oh, we can do this on our own, they lose, as we see in chapter 7. Okay. And it is found out that this Achan is found out and that's, why, that's a reason why they lost that battle at Ai, uh, because God was not with them when they did that. And uh, so that brings up another important point, and that Achan's sin causes the whole Israelite community to lose that battle. Now, here's a Catholic principle. Each person's sin affects the whole community. You may not think so. You may think that uh, the lie that you told or the the sexual encounter that you had was was just you, okay? But in some way that affects the whole community, okay? We lower our sta- you know, the community lowers its standards as people lie, as people commit uh sexual uh sin, etc. We just lower the standards and look where the standards are today not so high, right? So um, the point of uh, Achan's lie is that it uh, uh, ultimately, uh, and his, uh, his taking the things from, from the uh, town of Jericho against the, against the rules of the Lord affects the whole town. So I want you to think about that. Uh, next time you're um, doing an examination of conscience, is what I'm doing, is the way that I'm speaking to others, is that in some way, is, is that lifting up the whole community or is it in some way diluting the, the whole community of faith? In other words, we get our standards lower and lower and lower until we, uh, we reach the lowest common denominator, which seems to be where we are today. So we are to be... Uh, we, we are to be light to the world and bring the world up in its worship, not the other way around. So don't be like uh, Achan and, and in all of our sin, uh, which uh, whether we know it or not, whether we see it or not, it does affect the whole community. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, dear Lord um, we are reminded through this brief study of the first few chapters of Joshua that you are with us all the time, just like you were in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant uh, as they entered their promised land. And as long as we put you first, just as the Israelites put the Ark of the Covenant first in their uh, beginning conquest of the promised land, we, we know that we will achieve our own promised land, that of heaven. Um, we thank you for the church, which has given us doctrines of war, which are quite different than what we just read in the first few chapters of Joshua. Uh, we thank you for your guidance in that. And uh, help us to remember that our sin, though it may seem petty, though it may seem personal, in some small way— pollutes the entire community. And uh, so help us to take a, a deeper look at ourselves and ask how we can, instead of polluting the community, how we can improve the community. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.